What's up, everyone? Welcome back to episode five of the Innovators Podcast. Here on this episode, we interview Rick Sanders. Rick is the president and director of the Iowa State University Research Park. So I thought it'd be great to have Rick on and just talk a little bit about what the research park does, some of the great things that Rick sees in the research park's future. Um, And another exciting part was we got to bring on Lear Thorson. Lear is one of our other ISURP interns. Um, And so I got to bring her on to kind of co-host this episode of the podcast. So looking forward to getting her more involved in some more episodes coming up. But so you'll hear a new voice, uh, but you'll be hearing a lot more of her in the future. So enjoy the podcast and thanks for listening. Rick, thank you for joining us today on the Innovators Podcast. Uh, just want to introduce everyone to uh, Rick Sanders, the president and director of the Iowa State University Research Park. Rick, give us a little bit of background. Talk about uh, where were you at before the research park? What are you doing here now? Yes, yeah, so uh, immediately, so, so I've been in my role here at the research park for the last 20 months or so. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it probably sounds a little cliche to say this about the job you're sitting in, but it's far and away the most interesting and rewarding uh, job I've ever had. Immediately before coming here, uh, I was chair of the Story County Board of Supervisors, and so for those people that don't understand uh, the political structure here in Iowa, I was broken up into 99 different counties, and uh, the, the uh, geographic entity that is the county has its own political structure, and that's the Board of Supervisors. So uh, everything soup to nuts in terms of governance of, of a county, uh, from potholes in the roads to different polling locations for voting, but, but everything that the county does. And I did that for 10 years, and that was a fascinating experience for somebody who was not overly politically inclined uh, to, you know, at 40 years old, get interested in politics and decide to um, to see what I could do there. Uh, it was I thought it was kind of the cherry on top of of what had been a really eclectic professional experience for me um, over the last thirty years. Um, uh, but it turns out it wasn't. It turns out that the research park is kind of that cherry on top. Um, but, how did you find out about the job? Who? How did you get connected? Yeah. So so I'm one of those that you know. So I've lived in the area since 2003, and I knew that the research park existed, um, and I generally knew where it was, and I generally knew what it did, and I knew there were buildings out here. But but when I assumed my role with the county, I started to get really interested in economic development and community development. And uh, so Steve Carter, my predecessor here at the park, and I used to talk pretty regularly about what kind of things could the county be doing to assist the research park as, as you really try to help develop our community um, and the economic development uh, arena in in Story County in Central Iowa, and so Steve came forward with an idea as they were looking at expansion of the park, uh, and this probably would have been five or six years ago, um, and is this was before the core building or anything anything that we have here on the south end of the park existed yet, and he came to see me in my role as as chair of the board of supervisors, and he said, Rick, you know we want to do this development. It's about and I'm going to make up numbers here. They're close, but I don't remember the specific numbers. But he said it's going to be about a $50 million project, and the state's going to be involved, and the city's going to be involved, and the university's going to be involved, and we really need the county to take a piece of this $50 million project. 
And I said, well, Steve, what are you thinking about? And he said, well, if the county could find a way to take $2.5 million to $3 million of the project, um, that would really help us figure out how to get this done. And I said, well, that sounds fine to me, but tell me what kind of things would these public dollars be used for? And as I recall the conversation, Steve said, well, you know, we, we've got to build roads, and we've got to put in sewer lines, and we've got to do all those kind of things. And I said, well, Steve, the county really can't get into the business of, um, of building city infrastructure, right? That's City of Ames' responsibility, and, and if we do that, there's 15 other communities in Story County. They're going to come to the county and say, hey, why aren't you building our infrastructure? And so I looked at a, a real rough sketch of the area, and the rough sketch of the area had a big green space right in the middle of it. And I looked at the green space, and I said, well, Steve, tell me what this is. And he said, well, there's an old stream uh, and woodland that runs through the middle of this area, and we've got to keep everything intact there because that's what we're going to use for our runoff. And I said, well, have you ever thought about turning that into some kind of park? And he said, well, yeah, but we don't have the money to do that. We need to just use the runoff. And I said, well, what if we pulled the county in and figured out some kind of project that could benefit the, the entire Story County and Central Iowa population and maybe show what we could do with, with runoff and environmental concerns and really try to bring this whole thing together? Just let me ask you this. What are you thinking is going to cost you to handle your runoff issues? And he said, two to three million dollars. And I said, well, it sounds like a win to me. Let's see if we can pull it together. And so we went to work on that. Our, our people in Story County Conservation were phenomenal to work with, uh, uh, led by Ted Tedesco, who's a former mayor of Iowa and now the namesake of the, of the park. Um, and there were a lot of hurdles to get through, but we were able to put together this wonderful 35-acre county park. And I figured that was the extent of my involvement with the research park. Hey, I was proud of the park. I was proud to be helpful in getting it done. And then Steve Carter announced his retirement. And I had not really, um, I, up to that point, I had not considered anything like this. Uh, I'm not an academic by background. You know, I, I'm really proud of my bachelor's degree, but that's the extent of it. And, um, and got to looking more and more at, at what it was and the skill set that I thought would be necessary to hopefully take the park to the next level. And decided that I'm, I'm at least worth considering and so I threw my hat in the ring, and, and when we got down to the final four candidates, it was pretty clear that one of these things did not look like the other. I mean, the other four all had their doctorates, and they had all worked in university research parks around the, around the country, and I did, had, didn't have any of that. And so I thought, well, this is going to be pretty simple. Either they're interested in me or they're not. And fortunately for me, they ended up being interested in me. And, and so I started on June, June 1st of 2019. Very cool. So you have some experience with major park projects from an external viewpoint. Do you think that that, you think that, that helps you as now inside uh, of the research park? Do you, do you think that that experience working with the major development uh, while you were outside of the research park has helped you uh, in this job too? Yeah, pro probably it has helped me. Uh, but I think what has helped me more in this job, I mean, so uh, first of all, we're so fortunate that I inherited this, this unbelievably talented, dedicated staff. Um, and so I came in really as a blank slate, right? So 
Uh, I knew something about the research part, but what I think I really brought to the table um, is this, this uh, team building, um, defining our role, and then filling that definition of the role, and then most importantly, relationship building and connections, and what that means, uh, in this case, to the research park. I mean, I'm, so I'm a true believer uh, that the best way to win, the best way uh, to, to succeed uh, is to find the wins for others, I individuals or entities, but find the win for others and then figure out how them winning can be good for you or your entity and then help them win. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a shift in mindset for many organizations. And so I think I very clearly brought that. Uh, and Matt, you, you lived through a lot of this. So we very early in my tenure went through a strategic planning and, and visioning and missioning process for the research park. We did some shifting of staff members, uh, getting everybody in the right seats on the bus and making sure that people were excited about their role, they were clear about their role, and then there were, there were expectations and measurements for them to fit into that role. And then once you do that, having the outstanding team that we have, then you just get out of the way and let them, let them go to work. Um, and so I think that mindset that I brought, which I think was indicative of the way I approached uh, the county being involved in the park, is what, um, is what I think I really bring to this job. And, and frankly, it's what I've tried to do over the last 30 years that I've, that I've been out of college and working. So before we get into too much, uh, too much research park looking forward, I, I want to talk a little bit about where you were before. Where were you before Iowa? Uh, take us, take us through, uh, take us through a rough, a rough history of Rick. Yeah. So you know, uh, anybody listening will recognize probably that the accent is not Iowa, or if it is Iowa, it's deep Southern Iowa. Uh, but I grew up in Alabama, and uh, we left Alabama in '97. Uh, but the interesting part about uh, Alabama is I had taken what I thought was my dream job uh, in Birmingham just before we decided to move to Montana. And so that was uh, assistant general manager of something called the Birmingham Barons, which what, you know, non-sports non fans, what you'll know about that is if you ever watch uh, Space Jam, that's the outfield that Michael Jordan was pulled through the hole, right? When he played his minor league baseball, that was the Birmingham Barons. And so at that point, I was 30 years old. We had just had our third child. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to end up being the general manager of the Birmingham Barons, maybe beyond that. This is the perfect pathway for me. And my wife, Callie, got offered the job as senior associate athletic director at Montana State University. And she's from Montana. And so we made the decision as a family that we would basically go for half our salary <laughs> to Montana um, and really thought we would settle in there. And so we got to Montana, and I thought, man, this is going to be a great opportunity for me. We've got children that, that at that point were five and three and, and newborn. And I thought, man, I'm going to hang out with the children, with the kids, and this is going to be a blast. And we were there for about three weeks, and I got offered the job as a general manager of the, something called the Valley Ice Garden and the Birmingham, uh, or the, and the Bozeman Ice Dogs, which was hockey. Which again, listen to my accent. How much do you think? How much time have I spent with hockey? But I get offered this job based on, I think, the role that I had with the Birmingham Barons, right? And so we go in, and at that point in time, uh, the Ice Dogs had never played a home hockey, uh, a home hockey game. 
did not have a facility. In fact, the facility was 60% done, so this would have been the 1st of July of 97. The, the facility was 60% done, and we were supposed to start playing home games in September. Uh, so I took the job, and we had a dirt floor. We didn't have a roof on the facility. It's about a 3,500-seat facility, and so we go to work, literally working 20-hour days, seven days a week, in order to get ready uh, for this kickoff of the season. And uh, we were sweeping floors the morning of September 14th when we had an open house, and we moved 6,500 people through our open house that day and knew we were on to something pretty good. Uh, the, the coach of the hockey team did a great job. The players did a great job. We ended up finishing second in the league that year. But even more importantly than that, we sold out 34 of our 40 home games, and we became the largest beer retailer in the state of Montana in one year. Uh, and it was an absolute party. So the story I like to tell about that is that first year, we had a home game on Halloween. And so everybody's dressed up, and and we're sitting in one of the boxes overlooking the concourse, and uh, my three-year-old was just sitting, looking out over the concourse, and we hear him say something, but it doesn't really register. We're having a conversation, and he says it again, and I said, Jack, what did you just say? This is a three-year-old. I said, Jack, what did you say? He said, what the hell was that? And I thought, oh, my goodness, he's been listening to his dad for too long. But we had a blast there in Bozeman, ended up going to the University of Maine, where Cal Callie, my wife, had just finished her doctorate and went in as dean of students for the University of Maine. I ended up as the associate athletic director for external affairs and hockey. Maine has great hockey. Hockey was one of the sports that reported to me. And um, we had a really nice 18 months in Maine but we were thrilled when the opportunity came to come here to Ames. Uh, Callie came in as a senior associate athletic director here and still is. Um, uh, I, I came in and ended up as commissioner of something called the Midwest Collegiate Conference, which is a bunch of small colleges in Iowa and Wisconsin, um, and had a great run doing that. And then this guy named Barack Obama in 2008 came to town, and he blew my two oldest boys away at that point. I think they were 16 and 14. And they, they came home one day, and I was apolitical um, and had been both a registered Democrat and a, and a Republican and an independent in my life. And they came home and they said, Dad, you got you got to listen to this guy. This, is, this guy's special. And so I listened. And, and for me, the early Barack Obama uh, hit it out of the park when he talked. I mean, you think about what, what I'm telling you I believe in, in connections and finding wins and everything. And when he was talking about, you know, there's no red America or blue America, there's the United States of America, and talk about lifting everybody up. You know, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama in the 60s and 70s. It was very Martin Luther King-esque, at least the, the impact on me. And so all of a sudden, I got really interested. I was 40 years old, and I, I thought, well, I preached my kids pretty regularly about leaving it better than you find it. Uh, have I really been walking that walk or, or not? And so I started looking around, and my first thought was I would, I would get involved in local politics, and maybe that meant city council or, or um, state house. 
Um, I, I knew that uh, I knew that I was personable. I knew that I was a hard worker, um, uh, and I thought maybe there was a pathway there for me, and that I could make a difference. Didn't know anything about county government at that point in time, and so I met with a few people locally, and one of them said, "Well, you really ought to look at at Story County Board of Supervisors," and I did, and it was intriguing to me. One of the things that was intriguing to me is the county had at that point in time had not produced a true balanced budget where revenues met or exceeded expenditures since 1987, which to me was ludicrous. And so I actually joined the board after getting elected, fortunately, joined the board thinking I was going to be a budget hawk and really get going on that. And I found that I was more interested in community development. And that led me here. So there's the, there's the nickel tour. So given all of the experience that you've had in your previous life, is there anything that you've taken with you to now being your position in the research park that you've kind of drawn on from experiences previously? Yeah. Um, so, so I think, uh, you know, if you want to use the coach analogy, I think it absolutely fits, right? I am looking for a way to maximize the impact of every – so let's stay with the coaching analogy. I want every player – to maximize what they can be, right? Mm -hmm. to, but more importantly, to maximize what their impact is for the team. In this case, the team is the ISU Research Park and the impact that we can have on Iowa State University. And in order to do that, we've got to positively impact business and industry. Well, for us to do that with such a small team, everybody better be in the right space if you want to, we'll do football, right? The people that need to be blocking need to be blocking. Mm -hmm. The people that need to be carrying the ball need to be carrying the ball. If you need to be catching a pass, you need to be catching a pass. In basketball, the scorers need to score, the defenders need to defend, and the rebounders need to rebound. Mm -hmm. And you need somebody who is getting people in the right spots and keeping them motivated, letting them know how valuable they are and what their impact is, but keeping them really motivated to fill their role as best they can, right? So you, you use Iowa State uh, football, right? It would be a problem if Charlie Kohler, who's a tight end, thought he should be Brees Hall, who's a running back, and vice versa, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think one of the things I bring is trying to maximize that. We talked about a few minutes ago uh, that one of the first things I did was really look at the structure of our staffing at the research park. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's what I bring as much as anything. Definitely. So I think that something that we've kind of gathered from a lot of the other innovators that we've talked to is just the concept of at the end of the day, you're a leader and how you're going to be putting different people in positions to have success out here at the research park. It can be paralleled to anything. And that's what's really cool about, I think, Iowa State and the Ames community in general is you've got all these outstanding leaders just putting their pieces in the best position possible. I mean, We've talked with um, Judy Owls about how she's doing that um, with the Startup Factory and uh, different positions with the Entrepreneurship, Papa John Center for Entrepreneurship, and it just seems like there's tons of outstanding leaders in Ames, and how do you guys all work together? You're all trying to achieve the same kind of mission, it seems like. Yeah, but so, so a win for any of us is a win for all of us mm -hmm. is the first thing I would say, I, and I would also add this. So what a, if you're an innovator or an entrepreneur, and interested in innovation and entrepreneurship. What a phenomenal time to be at Iowa State University. And I mean that from the, from the first term freshman all the way through to the last term senior, right? Um, the, the commitment, starting with President Winterstein, 
the complete commitment to innovation and the way we've so the the work that Karen Kearns is doing in branding and programming innovated Iowa State has been off the, I mean this is in a year of covid and the the work that she's done and the impact that she's had uh, has been unbelievable, but it starts with President Winterstein setting the direction and saying, as an institution, we're going to have a commitment to innovation and making sure that our students all have the opportunity to learn about innovation and learn about innovation within themselves, what appeals to them. So then you look at the rest of us that are outside of that, but working within the innovation space, what a cool time to, from the very top, have this commitment to the idea of innovation, have this commitment to uh, really developing innovators and entrepreneurs, and now we've all got to fill our role because it's all a little bit different. So what Judy, who you guys have mentioned a couple times, what she does with the Papa John Center and the Startup Factory and the SciBiz Lab is unbelievable, and it's entirely different than what the, what the research part does. We're all part of that same continuum of innovators and entrepreneurship. We just all have different pieces of it along the line, and so for me... Every time Judy Isles is successful, it gives me and the research park a chance of success. And the more successful we are, the more success Judy Isles can have in her programming as we go through. And, and so I didn't want to get out of here today without underscoring how thrilled I am to be part of an institution as committed as Iowa State University is to this concept. And now we've just got to all figure out how to do it. But it goes even beyond Iowa State University. When you think about the Ames Economic Development Commission and the Ames Chamber completely committed to uh, the, the, the president over there is named Dan Colhane, and he will say regularly that, that Ames and Central Iowa is a company town and the company is Iowa State University. And if your company, if you're a company town and the company is Iowa State University and it's committed to innovation, then you're committed to innovation. And so it creates this cool little triangle between the university and those of us who are affiliated with the university but external working in innovation and those in the community who are working in innovation, all trying to figure out how to maximize what our area can do in this space. Definitely. Yeah, I love the example that you gave there. And then it made me even consider you've got all these different pieces of the puzzle kind of in this Ames community, but I guarantee each one of you would have a different kind of definition of what innovation means. So in your terms and in your world, what does innovation mean to you? Yeah, fi finding finding new ways to deal with existing problems. Um, and that's across the board, right? So, so for me, you know, I get fired up. We want to be good, I told you earlier, at dealing with innovators regardless of where they're innovating, regardless of where they are, if they're operating in the innovation community, we want to be great at. But where, we're, where, where I go to bed at night thinking about and wake up in the morning thinking about is everything ag-related. As we think about feeding and fueling the world, right? And I'm talking about long after I'm gone, probably after you guys are gone, what is this all going to look like, right? Probably we hope and expect that we're going to have an ever-growing population we all recognize that there's a finite amount of energy out there and that the impacts that that energy can have on our, on our world can, can be negative in, in many cases. Um, we got to address it. And I don't believe, I don't believe that the way to address it is for all of us to go back to living with stone tools and, you know, doing nothing. So we better get really creative at how we handle it. And 
I believe that we here in central Iowa and the Midwest more broadly have a special place in the world when it comes to answering those questions. And so I'm excited every day when we start talking about the companies that directly impact that or the companies that are innovating on the fringe that impact the people that are going to impact that. Are there any people that have been like extremely influential to you kind of getting to the position that you are now, at least like as role models or people that you admire? I know you mentioned um, Barack Obama earlier, but if there's any other maybe family members or people that you've kind of leaned on. I mean, so Barack Obama gave me an awakening, right? Mm -hmm. He, he created the opportunity for me then a 40 year old to really take a look at what was going on with me. And if I was walking the walk that I like to talk and, and I'll, you know, I'll always be appreciative of that. But, but beyond that, and it's sad to me that I didn't recognize it at the time, you know, so I go back, once you get outside of family, right, my, my dad was a huge influence on me, but Gene Bartow, um, so, so Gene Bartow is a Hall of Fame basketball, college basketball coach. Um, he, he passed away a few years ago, but he was the coach that replaced John Wooden at UCLA when John Wooden retired. And so I had several years of working really closely with Coach Bartow, and he was as good a man as you'd ever meet. And I wish I could take my brain as a 55-year-old out of my head and put it back in my 20-year-old self so that I could truly appreciate all I was learning at that point in time. Uh, but, But I think about a lot of things that Coach Bartow used to say and just how he carried himself and how... Um, I think he truly believed exactly what, what I'm telling you about finding wins for as many as you can all the time, and that's the way to be successful. Uh, he would be the first one that I would hold up. That was great. So back on to the research park, there's been a lot of changes uh, just in the, the short 18 months that you've been here. Uh, and you know, the years leading up to that, there's been a lot going on. It's been exciting to see um, as a student and as, as an intern here. What are some of your favorite things that you've worked on in your short time here? And, and what are some things that you're looking to build on uh, in the short term? Yeah, I mean, so relationship building and connections is the first one. So I think when I joined the research park, and now understand, this, the research park, from its inception, from, from, its, from its conception and inception, right? 87 and then 89 is the first building built. This has been a special place all the way through. And the job that Steve Carter did over his 20 plus years at the helm was unbelievable. This place wouldn't, I I mean, none of this would exist without, without his work. And so he deserves full credit, but I didn't come in here to try to be Steve Carter or try to keep the maintain what Steve Carter worked on. I, I came in here trying to figure out how the research park could do a better job in my view partnering with the local economic development community, partnering with the city wherever possible, and really partnering with the university and helping the university fulfill its mission. And in order for us to do that, we've got to have great connections with business and industry, right? So our entire role is to figure out how to connect Iowa State University better with business and industry. And so when you think about the resources that Iowa State University has, two of the most important are sitting here in the room with me and, and two students, right? But it goes beyond that, right? So, so we're producing this phenomenal level of, of workforce talent in students, but we also have specialized equipment. We also have some of the great, as a, as a land-grant institution, we have some of the great brand, uh, brain power and 
research capabilities of anybody anywhere, especially when you start talking about things moving the dirt or turning wrenches or things like that. That's where Iowa State's sweet spot absolutely is. And I'm not convinced we had always seen ourselves in complete alignment with that. So the research park is a separate entity, technically, right? We're a 501c3. We exist out here on our own. And it depends on how strong you want to draw that line of separation, right? So we're separate, sure. But we exist only to serve the university. Um, And I think bringing that mindset forward uh, was a was a small shift, but I think a impactful shift in the mindset of the research park. That that leads really well into something that I I wanted to hit on. Um, there's a lot of listeners uh, of this podcast that maybe don't completely know what the research park does. I know it's uh, you know before I started working here, um, I I didn't know what it was. I'd, I'd driven out this way a few times, uh, but other than that, I didn't really understand what all these um, buildings were. And uh, can you just take us through, you know, when you work with somebody or you meet somebody that has no idea what a university research park is, what do you tell them? Can you just give us a a bird's eye view of what what is the Iowa State University Research Park? Yeah, the, the elevator speech is we are the connection point for business and industry who speaks its own language to the university and all its resources, which speaks its own language. I mean, you think about the way a university operates and has to operate, right? Speaks its own language, moves at its own pace, lives in its own little world. You think about the way business and industry truly works, right? Out in the real world, moving at the speed of business and life and everything that's going on and the changes that can occur. And you try to put, in many cases, you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And so the research park is that adapter, right? And and our entire reason of existence is figuring out ways to connect things that don't naturally fit together, that don't naturally speak the same language. Now, we happen to do it and pay for it um, by leasing space, right? So, so, you know, we're 16 buildings. We're 800,000 square feet of space under roof. We're 400 acres, and we generate 95% uh, of our budget every year. Our budget is about $10 million, and we self-generate about $9.5 million every year. And we do that largely through leasing space. So that is what we do. That's not who we are. Who we are is figuring out how to get Iowa State to fulfill its mission, which is to positively impact Iowa and the world through the knowledge that's being created. You guys are part of that knowledge that's being created at, at Iowa State University. Figuring out how to positively impact the world well, in order to positively impact the world, you've got to get that stuff out into the world, right? We've got to get you guys out into the workforce. But we also have to get the technology and the expertise and the research capabilities and all of that out into the real world. And if you're not speaking the same language or moving at the same pace, that's hard to do. And so we fit as that buffer or that connection, right? That, that cable between your computers that figures out different connections on either end and can tie it together. That's what the research park is and should be. Interesting. Seems like a, a pretty good analogy. So there's companies that are small startup companies with a handful of employees. There's companies out here who are multinational companies. Uh, how does that relationship look different for uh, the John Deere's and the Vermeer's uh, compared to some of your other smaller, uh, maybe startup companies who are uh, tenants out here just like just like everyone is? Yeah, so we've got, we've got roughly 100 tenants at any given time. Like, as you just said, all sizes. 
and I would say we have roughly 100 different relationships at any given time. Because if you think about it, so if you buy in uh, to who we say we are, we want to be a place where innovators flourish. We don't say we want to be a place where certain innovators flourish. We don't say we want to be a place where innovators flourish if you do it a certain way or speak a dirt certain language or move at a certain pace. We say we want to be a place where innovators flourish, and that means uh, if you recognize that Iowa State University is not going to be all that flexible, right? For all the great things that Iowa State University is, it's a really established institution with established protocols, established procedures. It's going to operate the way it operates. And if you recognize that every business is just a little bit different and has different needs and moves at a different pace, um, then it's the research park. If we're going to fit that gap, we got to be a little flexible, well, more than a little flexible. we got to be completely flexible. we got to be that putty that can mold ourselves to whatever shape is necessary for this given uh, situation. We know what the university is going to look like. We don't know what the business or industry is going to look like. Be it si- you, you mentioned John Deere looks entirely different than Vermeer. I mean, they're in, in essence, they're in the same industrial space. They look entirely different. Barrier Ingelheim looks entirely different than Merck. And those are companies that are in kind of the same space. Mm-hmm. Now you go all the way down to that single office with a single person with a single idea who is spending 23 hours a day thinking about their idea they need help to get over the problems that they're dealing with. And if we're not flexible, we're going to miss on a lot of those. So I think that was a great explanation. I, I know that's kind of a foreign concept for um, some people that, you know, when I say, hey, I'm an intern at the research park, they're like, okay, what kind of research do you do? Uh, <laughs> it's always a fun question to to answer. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of research parks uh, around the U.S. There are... Um, uh, many many research parks at, at different universities. Iowa State's uh, Iowa State's has won a lot of awards. Uh, we've been recognized nationally for uh, the research park that we have here. What what makes the the ISU research park special? Yeah, in this, your so opinion. Yeah, there's so many things that go into making it special. I would say it starts with uh, the very beginning of the research park. So at the time the Iowa State University research park was was created, there was Literally nothing like it in the world. At that point in time, every research park had sprung up in an urban area. It had generally sprung up as a satellite to a large existing company that had located in the area. And and it sprung up, in essence, to serve the companies that wanted to serve the large company that had located there. Well, when this was conceived, it was literally out in the middle of a cornfield with no real businesses, no anchor tenant, no, you know, just a place for ideas that were fermenting over at Iowa State University to come and see if they could get commercialized. I mean, that's how it was conceived. So really special even from the very beginning. As you go through the years, the thing that I think has kept the research park unique among research parks, and the old adage is once you've seen one research park, you've seen one research park, It's true. They're all different. They've all got their own strengths and weaknesses. But one of the things that I think is unique about the Iowa State University Research Park, and I believe a true benefit, is the flexibility that we're able to bring to any given situation. Most research parks have a model or process established, right? It's university-owned or or it's uh, developer-funded growth buildings and things like that. They've got one model that they try to plug everybody into. Well, if you go back to the earlier part of our conversation, 
we truly believe that bringing one-off solutions to every situation is the way we've got to operate because we're not trying to make people fit us. We're trying to help people and companies fit Iowa State University. And we're, we're the only research park that I'm aware of that brings all kinds of models together to build buildings, provide space, provide services, rather than saying, okay, here's how we do it at the research park. Now you fit in with us. We say, what do you need? And then we figure out how we can fit with you. That, to me, is what really differentiates us and, and makes this such a, a vibrant, special place to work. I mean, you guys, you get to sit there in the, in the common area in our office every day, and sometimes I'll just stop what I'm doing, and I'll think about you guys sitting out there and you can hear everything that's going on in the office, and you can see the 3,000 things that are happening at once, and I've got to think it's kind of a cool experience for you to at least be, I mean, you're a direct part of so many things, but at least have an ancillary part of everything that's happening in the research park. That's, I, in my mind, anyway, you guys have some cool experiences day to day. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. I think uh, it's it's just cool to see what's going on. It's cool to see, uh, you know, new companies looking at coming into the research park or, uh, you know, whether that's a, a larger company that's looking to rent a lot of space or uh, a startup that, you know, I mean, there's a couple of startup companies that were uh, in real, real startup mode, like their founders were students when I was a freshman. And now they're... Um, you know, becoming very established companies and, and renting more space and hiring employees and just seeing that transition is is really amazing to see. So, uh, yeah, agree with your point there of uh, the interns have a, a really cool um, kind of uh, lens into the happenings at the research park. So uh, you made me think of two stories real quick. So the first thing I would say is personally, um, I have seen what the research park can mean to an Iowa State University student. So my oldest son is a 2013 Iowa State graduate, and um, one of the one of the jobs he had while he was in college, he was working at the alumni center, just setting up tables and tearing things down. The alumni center was pretty new at that point in time, um, and he decided he wanted to do so. He liked the job at the alumni center, but he decided he wanted to do something more applicable to his future, and so he heard about this new company called Web Filings. Uh, that had located at the research park, and they were looking for an intern. And he went out, and I believe he was the first or one of the first interns that the company Web Filings had ever hired. Uh, well, they've gone on to become Workiva. Uh, and if you want to check the New York Stock Exchange, they're doing pretty well. Um, and now he is leading their, develop, their European development team. So he's 20, he'll be 29 years old this May, leading their European development team uh, has his own team that's that's working on all kinds of projects. And I think about what that life looks like for somebody who just a few years ago was in the exact spot you were in and what the Iowa State University Research Park has meant to him, right? And so that's a very personal example to me, but you think about it. So you guys all know the, the interns that have come before you and some of what they're doing now and and other interns at other companies here within the research park and the kind of success they're having, it's kind of cool to know uh, that, you know, I would say when I'm old and gray, but I'm already both, um, that when I get to look back somewhere down the road, I'm going to know that I was part of an entity that has such a great impact on so many young people. That's an awesome story. You mentioned a couple of 
staff members' names already, uh, and can I can certainly attest to the incredible staff that we do have out here. Um, just a great group of people to work with. Who are, who are some other folks that uh, who are some other folks that have really been really been making a difference in, in your time here? Well, so so everybody here makes me smile. I mean, so conscientious and so hardworking, and and you know we're so fortunate to have what everybody brings. But the the staff member that I get to spend the most time with is Nate Easter, and he's our our chief operations officer. And and I kind of chuckle about Nate, and what made me think of this is when I was talking about where you guys are located, kind of in the bullpen out in the center of our our office area where all the interns are. Um, one of the things I did, and it was pretty selfish on my part to do it, but it's ended up being a godsend for Nate Easter. When I got here, I was having trouble visualizing all our buildings, right? We're 16 buildings here at the research park. And, and as I told you at the beginning, I knew a little bit about the research park. And so I had done some research and, and you know, you can only learn so much. And so I was having trouble visualizing all of our buildings and all of our tenants. And so one of the things I did is I just put together uh, whiteboards uh, of every one of our buildings and had every one of our tenants located in there. And what I didn't recognize was going to happen there is Nate Easter's process is to stand and stare at boards. If he's working on a problem in a building, he'll just go out. You guys see him do this sometimes. He'll just go out and stand in front of one of those boards and stare at it until a solution comes to him. And, and so Nate is, uh, Nate is the epitome of a personable engineer, right? The old adage of engineers is how you tell an extroverted engineer from an introverted engineer. The introverted engineer looks at their shoes when they talk to you, and an extroverted engineer looks at your shoes while they're talking to you. Well, Nate is absolutely a personable <laughs> engineer, and he's so much, first of all, he's as good a project manager as I've ever been around, but he goes so far beyond that. He is a, a, he is a problem solver at every stage of the way. He's so personable and easy to work with, but what I get tickled by is his process. And to look up in my office every once in a while and just see him staring at a board out there in the middle of our offices just makes me chuckle all the time, and, and uh, I like anything that makes me chuckle. That's a great. That's a great point. Um, I guess that that kind of leads me to a good a good point to to kind of wrap things up. But wanted to hit you with uh, a couple of uh, rapid fire questions. We do this with all of our guests. Uh, typically, you can't have a podcast uh, without doing a rapid fire. You second, got it. You? you got it. You know. <laughs> so typically, uh, what we've done for our guests who are maybe entrepreneurs or starting their own companies is uh, give them a few time frames and ask them, where's your company going to be in those next few time frames? Uh, kind of the same for you. Where is the research park going to be in uh, a couple of these time frames? I'll give them to you um, and just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. All right, you ready? So in six months, where's the research park going to be? Uh, we're going to be turning dirt on about uh, 10 acres of projects. How about three years from now? We're going to have two new buildings. We're going to be working with an additional 20 um, innovators here at the research park. So take it to 120 innovators. How about seven years? We're going to be a recognized leader uh, in the uh, precision, ag, worldwide leader in the precision ag, um, vaccine and immunotherapy, um, um, and animal sciences innovation space. Fantastic. Rick, thank you for your time today. Appreciate uh, being able to have you on the podcast. Um, thanks for thanks for giving us a little bit of time. Well, I just appreciate you guys. So the interns are what make it fun out here, 
and uh, I'm sitting here with two of the best right now. We so appreciate you guys being here and and your innovation, right? Bringing forward the podcast. I know when when we first talked about doing a podcast, I was you know great. I wasn't all that sure what it was going to turn into. I know you guys are having great success with that. But even beyond that, everything we do here. You guys think about the new initiatives with our interns that we've put together over the last uh, over the last year and a half, right? Uh, how much this has always been a special place to be an intern, but you think about the the eclectic experience that you guys have had over the last year and a half. It's going to serve you really, really well, and we've been so we've been the beneficiary of having you guys here. So thank you.